The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. Open your Bibles to Psalm 17. Son, everything back there rocking? Thank you. Well, I have the great privilege to bring God's Word this morning. Very excited to do so. Psalm 17. How's this working? This is different. You guys okay with this? All right. You guys hearing me through the speakers? I got the thumbs up from my brother Eric. I dig it. All right. Let's, um, let's open our time for the preaching of God's word in prayer, shall we? Oh, creator God, our father. I do marvel that, um, that as you are building a kingdom that cannot be shaken, an everlasting kingdom on the cornerstone of our risen Savior, our King Jesus, that you're doing it, you choose to do it through such just weak, broken vessels. But indeed, it's through that God where you and you alone receive the glory. And so we rejoice to be such a... um, just a, a vessel, a, a, a pot that you would do miraculous work through, that you would do everlasting work through. So as your people, as your church, recognizing that, that our participation today in, in gathering together to worship your name and sitting under the preaching of your word, recognize that there is a spiritual work taking place And we do pray, indeed it does, God, that there is nothing hindering the activity of the Holy Spirit taking these God-breathed words and applying them, applying them to full effectiveness and strengthening faith and sanctifying sinners into the likeness of Christ. Continue this good work you've begun, I ask in his name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, here we are, chapter 17 of Psalms. This collection of songs and poems thoughtfully arranged by the Holy, <clears throat> by saints of old under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Today's psalm in consideration, Psalm 17, a psalm with clear tension between lament and praise, you'll see that there, has been beautifully set up by Psalm 16. Okay? The setup. The setup. So easily, when I think about this, easily easily my two favorite team-related sports are soccer and volleyball. I spent countless hours playing these games in my youth. And though scoring a goal or spiking the ball into the sand held much glamour, and rightly so, that felt good, Um, of equal importance was that perfect assist or setup that led to the score. 
So whether as a halfback, I was left halfback, that's what I played, on the soccer field, you know, placing the ball with precision onto the forwards, forwards feet at a place and time that was ripe for a score, or the perfectly timed soft set, sometimes the far across the net or just the real quick one right underneath, readying my teammate to smash the volleyball into our opponent's faces. You know, both, both were as rewarding for me as when I was given the opportunity to make the score myself. The two go together so beautifully. Even as a a spectator, to watch that sequence take place with precision and finesse is, is just a delight. Well, the arrangement of the Psalms often, not always, but, but often has this flow to it. And Psalms 16 and 15, excuse me, 16 to 17 are right on point with that. And if you recall, it was similar to how Jason showed us with chapters 15 or 14 and 15. So reflecting back, because we need to do that with the setup, reflecting back to Psalm 16 from last week, we can see this centrality portrayal of the worshiper's wonderful closeness with God. That was central there, his closeness with God. Check out a few of these verses. You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. You, Lord, are my chosen, vet, my chosen portion and my cup. I have set the Lord always before me, always, always at my right hand, and therefore I am never to be shaken. In his presence, in your presence, Lord, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Closeness with God. In the presence of your maker, all consumed in him with immeasurable delight. A glorious psalm expressing the place we are to to lift our soul to. Amen? Amen. And to the one who bears this closeness with God as seen in Psalm 16, to them it yields a clear conscience as we will see depicted in Psalm 17. Just like the perfect setup yielding a score, the closeness of the worshiper to God seen in Psalm 16 is a beautiful setup to the clear conscience of the worshiper seen in Psalm 17, which is the score. The underlying truth to take in and receive together this morning. In one sentence, Closeness to God yields a clear conscience. Closeness to God yields a clear conscience. And as the passage within Psalm 17 leads us in doing so, we will expand this truth out into three parts for our contemplation. They are, if you want to jot jot them down in advance, They are, number one, the blessings of a clear conscience. Number two, those who have a seared conscience. And number three, the ultimate outcome of a clear conscience. We'll expand the underlying truth in Psalm 17 for thorough contemplation of how closeness to God yields a clear conscience by these three focal points. 
as the passages or as a passage guides us to do so. Number one, the blessings of a clear conscience. There are three drawn out for us in verses one through nine. It's more than half the passage and rightly so. For how blessed is one who truly, truly has a clear conscience before God? Tremendously so. I mean, what plagues so many image bearers walk in the face of the earth? Anxieties, sleepless or restless nights, irritability, agitated defensiveness, conflict in relationships, conflict just within yourself and themselves. You know, things like these are just commonplace. Though that's not the face we typically see worn out in public. Not at all. But nevertheless, nevertheless, it is what is behind the mask eating away at the masses. And to try and appease, or and to try to appease the pain of it all, mankind goes to great lengths to either distract themselves from it or numb themselves to it. That's why the pursuit of entertainment and material possessions and substance abuse and fleshly indulgences abound to the measure people are able to pursue them because, because they are seeking escape. They are seeking escape. But to one who truly has a clear conscience before God, oh, the bliss of it all. The bliss of it all. I mean, to be able to, Hebrews 10.22, to be able to draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with your heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Now, For anyone to truly have a clear conscience before God, they must, as chapter 10 passage in Hebrews expounds upon, they must have forgiveness of sin by the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All are guilty before God and must give him an account of their lives. Only the sacrificial blood of Jesus can cleanse a person of all unrighteousness and make them holy and blameless before the God of heaven. By faith in Jesus alone, this is possible. So we must start there. We must start there. But even there, a Christian may not be walking close with God as seen in Psalm 16. They may not be in Psalm 16 and therefore be in a very tumultuous place filled with unrest. But one who is, one who is like Psalm 16, close to God, they experience the blessings of a clear conscience. And one of those blessings is, remember, for we'll consider three separate blessings of a clear conscience. So consider this point 1A, if that's helpful, One of the blessings of a clear conscience with God is an immediate audience with God. An immediate audience with God. I mean, listen to the opening here in verse 1. Listen to this opening. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. He He just goes right into it, right? 
There's no intro. Just boom. There it is. One who has a clear conscience before God has an immediate audience with God because, get this, church, they've never left. They've never left. Close means you are close and stay close. Not close to God on a Sunday morning for an hour or two or any other slotted time for devotion, but close to God 24-7. Yes, you know, focused and constant attention on him is impossible. I wish it were, and one day it will be, but, but right now, it's not in the here and now. I mean, let's be real. We can't be doing that. But... But we can and should operate with constant awareness of his presence. That is what praying without ceasing means. Each day, every day, no matter where you are and what's going on, God is always present in mind and heart with you. That's the closeness we are talking of here. That's the closeness that has an immediate audience with God. Your life is in the constant state of quorum Deo. Quorum Deo, that Latin term meaning in the presence of God. In the presence of God. This is perpetual. This is never stopping mindfulness and awareness no matter what you are doing or who you are with. Quorum Deo. This type of closeness has an immediate audience with God because you never left. An immediate audience that, that because it has, because of that constant closeness, listen, Because of that constant closeness, there is a constant reverent fear about you. We see this portrayed in how David prays here. Continuing on in verse 2. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer. From your presence, let, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. Like, I don't hear demands. I don't hear grumbling. I hear respectful, humble pleas offered up. I hear honor and recognition to whom David is praying to. I hear an open conversation with one in whose close presence David has never left. A blessing of such a clear conscience is an immediate audience with God. Another blessing of such a clear conscience, part one or point one B to keep you on track, if that's helpful. Another blessing of a, such a clear conscience is knowing that it's been proven genuine. Knowing that it's been proven genuine. So, what do I mean by that? We can convince ourselves of a lot of things, we really can. Jeremiah 17, 11. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our own heart. 
yours and mine, is pleased. You get that? Pleased to deceive us with believable lies, taking us captive by them, and that, are, that have the sole purpose. These lies of the enemy that are believable, they have the sole purpose to destroy us. So deadly they are because we can have what seems to us a clear conscience about it. Your own heart can deceive you. Lies of the enemy can be very believing. And furthermore, furthermore, to make matters even worse, though you don't need any help in appeasing your own conscience with falsehood, oftentimes you get it anyway. <laughs> you get it anyway. Lies you are believing can be supported by others. Others who would seem trustworthy, but aren't. Your adversary, the devil, has ample agents of evil at his disposal who are disguised in sheep's clothing and ready to affirm, ready to affirm what you want to hear, but not what you need to hear, which is the truth. Listen to me. I fight this today, okay? I fight this today. Our household fights lies of the enemy on a regular basis. And it's, it's nuts because he just, he keeps coming back with the same lies. The same lies. It's, they aren't new. They just have a, a fresh twist on them. Or, or they find their way into our heads by means of a newly presented access point. It's so frustrating. And no one is immune to this. It's something we must constantly, constantly be seeking truth from God's word for our minds to be renewed. And also speaking that truth to ourselves. So yes, I give you permission to talk to yourself. You do it anyway, okay? Talk to yourself. We all do it anyway. So, but pay attention to what you are saying. Pay attention to what you are saying and purpose to speak God's word to yourself. Speak truth. Take every thought captive. Renounce lies the enemy is whispering in your ear, no matter how believable they are to you. If what you are saying to yourself is not supported in Scripture, Red flags ought to quickly go up. John 17, 17, your word is truth. Church, God's word is the standard for truth. It is the validator of all other would-be truths. If it is supported in God's word, then you can reckon it reliable and trustworthy to be true. Be sure this is what you are counseling yourself with. Because our hearts, oh, our hearts can be so, so easily led astray. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to, prone to leave the God I love. That's what the hymn is speaking of. We are prone to wander from God. We are prone to wander from truth.
one more passage that I believe will be helpful for you in your Christian life on this note, because this is daily, right? This is ongoing. Years past, there was something I valued, something I wanted to continue to pursue in my life that I believed I had the freedom in Christ to do so. The freedom I am speaking of, of <clears throat> speaking of comes from Romans 14, 22, which says, the faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has reason, who, excuse me, has no reason to pass judgment on himself and what he approves. I took hold of this verse, which is a glorious verse and truth of God's to celebrate. I took hold of it. I took hold of it and continued in the pursuit that I approved of. And God walked with me through this season. He never left. He was always right there. I continued to pursue him, and he gently and relentlessly pursued me. And all along, this one thing I approved of continued to bother me. It's like I could not put it to rest once and for all. And oh, I tried over and over and over again. But there was something in the depths of my conscience that wouldn't come to a place of rest, freeing me to move on. It just would not. And then it happened. Being close with God, as I was, being close to God meant I was regularly in his word and joyfully submitting to it. And I was. I gladly wanted to obey my heavenly father, whom I loved and feared. So I'm in his word. Regularly, daily, I'm praying. I'm seeking his face. And I come upon Romans chapter 14, verse 23. Yeah, the very next verse from the one I took hold of to continue the, the pursuit and what I approved. It reads like this. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. In my case, continuing the pursuit of what I approved. Because, e because the eating, continuing in what I approved, is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now, I'm not able to describe that moment other than I knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that I had doubt in the very thing I believed I had the freedom to pursue. And God, my father, he was there the whole time, okay? He never left. And as if, it's as if he had his arm around my shoulder, looking down to have our eyes meet. And just by that fatherly look in that moment, communicating to my heart, 
this is not the path for you, Seth. To continue in doing so is sin. In the long run, this will lead you away from me. This is why you still have doubt. I put it there. Let it go. Let it go. Put an end to it once and for all and follow me. The lift that came to my soul in that moment, I surrendered as God was telling me to, is with me to this very day. I felt a freedom I didn't realize I didn't have. You tracking? You know, here, here I thought I was free in what I approved. While all along, the truth of it was that it was actually enslaving me. That was the reality I was living in. My conscience, though I thought clear, wasn't. But when it truly came and was proven true time and time again, (laughs) the sweet blessing of that keeps me driven to not depart from having it. That I may be close to God with a clear conscience and know when he who searches the heart and tests the mind to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds, that I, that we may be aligned with David here in verses three through five, to be able to say, you have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me and you will find nothing. (laughs) You will find nothing. A clear conscience proven true. I have purpose that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, God, God, your instruction in how we are to live, that's how I've lived. I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. Your ways, O Lord, are infinitely wise. The ways of wisdom are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. Her ways are peace. Proverbs 3.17, God, from these paths, O God, my feet have not slipped. Oh, the blessing of a clear conscience proven to be true. To be able to say that, what we just read, to be able to say that to God. Closeness to God yields such a clear conscience that is blessed to be proven true. But let's be real. This ain't easy. A clear conscience does not come passively. There is great effort on our part, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. And bottom line, we stumble. We fall short. We get angry. We say things we shouldn't say. We do things we shouldn't do. We don't do things we should do. Our motives are impure. 
we sin. Bottom line, we sin, which rightly brings a guilty conscience before God. That's the, but praise be to God, we are not left there. Amen? We're not left there. The gospel message of Jesus Christ answers back and makes a way for our conscience before God to be cleared once again. We confess our sin. We confess our sin. We repent of it, turning away from our sin and turning towards God, purposing to walk closely with him in glad obedience, which yields a clear conscience. We can be restored there through the gospel over and over again. There is great satisfaction and peace in knowing once restored, knowing it's been proven true. When he tries you, when he tests, you know you have a clear conscience before God. One more. One more point, one more on point one. Blessing of a clear conscience before God. The passage is six through eight. Six through nine makes known to us prior to moving on to our second point. And that is, with that clear conscience, close to God, such a one is affectionately confident in their prayer to God. Affectionately confident. Let's go ahead and read these verses. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Note the confidence there. Not an arrogance, but a sweet, humble confidence of one who is close to God. Let's continue. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love. That just flows beautifully, doesn't it? One of my favorites. Wonderfully, wondrously show. I mean, how that depicts the prayer's affection for God, whose steadfast love they are no doubt well acquainted with. O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. (laughs) We have nicknames for those we are close to as a way that affectionately describes them, right? Pets do, of course, but even one another. Well, God has many names provided in the scriptures that reflect his character. For example, Mighty God, Healer, Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, I Am, the Alpha and Omega, Creator God. There's plenty more. Names like these and many others found in Scripture. But this, this doesn't mean you can't reverently coin your own. <laughs> like verse 7. O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. That's so great. Other, other examples of our own making could be my friend who is ever so patient with me or relentless father who purposes, who pursues his wayward children so persistently and gently. Or how about shepherd of my soul and the souls of those along with me who call upon your name. I mean, have fun in giving that a try. In fact, If you were to give, if you personally were to give a nickname to God that conveys a heartfelt truth about him, 
from your heart, specifically, personally, what would that be? I think that'll be our opener for community group this week. What would that be? David continues in his affectionately confident prayer. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. I mean, take note, David's prayer has nothing to do with money, possessions, or power, but rather steadfast love to be shown. That same steadfast love, no doubt, that was shown to David first when God was pleased to reveal himself to him. And also to be affectionately and tightly held close. Keep me, keep me awareness of his proneness, of his, yeah, proneness to wander. And lastly, protection, aware, mindful of his fragility and the need for God's overarching protection. One close to God with a clear conscience has the blessing to be, a, in, to be affectionately engaged with God with reverent, confident prayer. As we see here with David. And now the bridge, the bridge between blessings of a clear conscience, which we just finished, and the ultimate outcome of a clear conscience, where we will close. The bridge between the two is constructed with the contrast of those with a seared conscience, the very ones we seek God's protection from. Those with a seared conscience, our second point, picking up where we left off through 14, verse 9 through 14. We encounter, as so often in Scripture, the distinction made from the Bible between the two types of people as God sees them. We see this contrast here in verse 9, of whom David is asking God to hide him from, from the wicked from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. In the New Testament, a recognized phrasing of this distinction is speaking of either those who are in Christ or who are not in Christ. If you use Blue Letter Bible and you just type in that search, in Christ, it explodes. I mean, there's many. There's no other category. You are either in Christ or not in Christ. Every image bearer of God, every human being, male and female alike, fall into one of the two categories in the eyes of God. You are either in Christ or not in Christ. I take you to our Lord's Prayer in John 17 for a sharp distinction of this very fact made by our Lord himself on the night he was betrayed. You can turn there if you'd like, John 17. And, and church, I tried to like find maybe a portion of it, but I can't. I just couldn't break up the whole, the whole chapter. This, the whole chapter is dedicated, and rightly so, to Jesus' prayer. And it's just so glorious, and it, from start to finish, shows this distinction. So I'm just going to read it through. God's holy word, and these are the words of Jesus praying to the Father moments before he is betrayed, or hours. 
When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, Glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them and I am no longer in the world but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. And now one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction. That's speaking of Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they here is critical Though we've been seeing it. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That's you and I, Christian, right here and now reading it that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. That is amazing. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you, know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known. Wow. 
that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Do we need more convincing? I wonder if earlier on, when I was speaking of how blessed is the one who truly has a clear conscience before God, where I was giving attention to the many plagues that torment people who know nothing of the blessedness of truly having a clear conscience before God, were some of you thinking, this is true, preacher, but there are those who are completely callous. I mean, to my observation, they just don't feel anything, and it's plainly evident. One's like in verse 10, they close their hearts to pity. With their mouths, they speak arrogantly. Were any of you thinking that? I was when I was preparing this. Like we, I know of some like this. I've encountered some like this who are so consumed in being wise in their own eyes and doing what, it, what seems right in their own mind's eye that they are blind and numb to their evil ways. We know of individuals like this. And to be real, indeed, even Christians can come to have such a, uh, a seared conscience at times. And therefore, be in desperate need of repentance. But there are those who operate here perpetually. Okay, this is where they exist. They are those not in Christ, whose conscience is either seared altogether or their guilty conscience is appeased daily through various temporary means described earlier, distraction or numbness, right? The Bible puts them into one category. They are not in Christ and therefore are all unrepentant sinners who are guilty before their creator and deserving of his just wrath for sin. How is one to become in Christ, you ask? I'm glad you did. The gospel message. The message of Jesus Christ is what alone can penetrate a seared or an appeased guilty conscience and awaken one to saving faith in Christ. The gospel message. To open the eyes of one's heart to believe with a a belief that transforms them from the inside out. Believe that Jesus was sent by the Father, just as we read in his prayer. Believe that Jesus came to earth to make known to us the Father. Believe that Jesus died on the cross as the atoning sacrifice for their sin. Recognizing they're guilty sinners who who are in need of saving. Believe that Jesus rose from the grave on the third day. Believe that he ascended to heaven, returning to the Father, and will one day again return to earth. But not to deal with sin. That was already dealt with on the cross. No, he will return to judge the world in righteousness, to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Those who by faith in Jesus 
being therefore in Christ and not of this world. Those are the ones who are eagerly waiting his return. But unless this takes place, unless you repent, you remain not in Christ. You remain dead in your sin and await Christ's judgment. And notice with me how David brings this this unity within God's covenant people, those who are not of this world, while retaining the individual aspect of the spiritual warfare we are engaged in. Verses 10 through 12. He says, They, they close their hearts to pity. With their mouths, they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They have set, they have set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He, hold on, what happened to they? (laughs) He is like a lion, eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. I dig how David does this. Okay, so first off, the poetic aspect of that gives a, a deeper illustrative picture in our mind's eye to liken our enemy to. Our enemy, he is like a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush. I mean, that is strong mental imagery for us to, to better understand how vicious, stealthy, and predatorily our enemy is in his intentions to destroy us. And then also, moving from the general aspect of it to the individual. For we can all relate to this type of person, and each of us may have a particular one or one's plural in mind that we have faced in our lives over the years or even this past week. So whether we are praying on behalf of the Millers in Alaska against those of this world who oppose that family and the gospel work God has called them to, or against those whom we may or, or, or may not see the faces of or know the names of who oppose our efforts in Christ's name. Whether the Millers, ourselves, or anybody or any other brother or sister in Christ, all of us being in the body of Christ, being in Christ, one with one another, the prayer David offers up here as an example for us, verses 13 through 14a, it fits both. Arise, O Lord. Confront him. Subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. From men by your hand, O Lord. From men of the world whose portion is in this life. We could pray that for the millers. We could pray that for yourself, for one another. It's fitting for all. Deliver me. O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. And that's a helpful perspective to hold, isn't it? Men of the world whose portion is in this life, those not in Christ, and therefore not having their hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, look to this world 
as their portion. And the Bible doesn't argue with them. The Bible doesn't argue with them. This is their portion to experience God's common grace on his creation. And we'll begin here as we move to our third and closing point, which is the ultimate outcome of a clear conscience seen in the rest of verse 14 and the final verse 15. Ultimate outcome of a clear conscience. Those who, those who are not in Christ do, do enjoy and pursue all they are able to. All they are able of the fleeting pleasures of this life under God's common grace. And some to very flamboyant measure. God's common grace. Everything. Everything in life that belongs to God, which he has bestowed upon his creation, whether God is acknowledged for it or not, he's bestowed it, common grace, provisions for food, shelter, the advancements in technology, modern medicine, you know, the fact that you are alive and breathing, and, can, and, and that you can have children, that you can have a family, that you can acquire possessions and land. I mean, these sorts of things would all fall under God's common grace and all mankind are able to enjoy them. Christian and non-Christian alike. We Christians enjoy and ought to enjoy the blessings we share in under God's common grace. It is right to do so. There is a distinction, however. Those in Christ enjoy the blessing of God's common grace with thankfulness of heart and to the glory of God with open hands. It's not, nor should be, what we are living for. It is not our portion. On the other hand, those in Christ, men of the world, this is their portion. You may have heard it said before, this is as good as it gets for them. It is what they are living for. This is spoken of in other portions of Scripture. And we have it expressed here in the second half of verse 14. You, God, fill their womb with treasure. They're having kids. Their families are growing. They have the blessedness, a gift of a child. They are satisfied with children and they leave their abundance to their infants. You know, when they die, they leave their entire portion, their end all of this life's portion as an inheritance to their family left behind. And sometimes it's a huge amount. Sometimes their family can live off of it for generations. But this is not their ultimate outcome. It is their portion, and they, which they pass on to their, their, their descendants when they die, but this is not their ultimate outcome. Their ultimate outcome is hell. That is their ultimate outcome. Conscious, eternal torment. That is the outcome of those who have not repented and come under the glad rule and reign of Christ in their heart. The ultimate outcome 
of a clear conscience before God, however, is assurance. It's assurance. Assurance of being with and being like the one they live for. Their portion is that which falls under amazing grace. Verse 15, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, life after death, when I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. God, the work that you began in me will be complete. No longer close to you through faith where I see things dimly, but eyes wide open in your presence, a completed workmanship of yours in Christ Jesus, beholding your glory unobscured. Assurance, like that's just not something you think about. That is something you own deep in your core with a clear conscience that affirms it. I mean, look at the carryover from Psalm 16. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Why? I shall behold your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied with your likeness. That's the ultimate end. And there is assurance, deep, powerfully rooted assurance in one with a, who is close to God with a clear conscience. I constantly want that. Do you? This is what awaits. This is what we are living for, being in the presence of God. And the here and now closeness to to God yields the many blessings of a clear conscience with the ultimate outcome of assurance of your salvation. I invite you to Jesus to experience this today. Let's pray. And Father in heaven, my prayer as we come to the close of the preaching of your word is you know plainly, you see everything. You know it is in the heart in the mind of every person present. And I pray if there, for those present who there is that clear conscience where they are practicing repentance in their life, where they are seeking your face and, and joyfully come in, gladly want to obey, they trust and obey. And when they fall short, when they stumble, when they sin, they're quick to repent. God, that they would recognize and rejoice in that sweet, clear conscience before you. That not in their own strength, but seeking your help with full effort on their part, God, that they would seek daily to to dwell there, to be there. That that is their their all-in-all pursuit. And I pray if there's anyone here, Father, where at this moment they, they, they don't feel that ability to be able to say that. I pray against any seared conscience 
Or if there's one present that is, that has been penetrated through, that there is a gentle, loving, persistent, full of grace and mercy, compassionate heart being conveyed from your word this morning to their heart. That in some similar way, Holy Spirit, that they catch their father's eye, giving attention. And showing them that you are standing there with open arms to receive them, to come close, to no longer follow their own path, but to draw close to you and to see your way as the way of life, the way of peace, the way of flourishing. So pray, Holy Spirit, affirm what is to be affirmed Renew where there needs to be renew. Cast away lies. Strengthen your church by your word. I do thank you so much for it and the great privilege to preach it. I pray these things in our risen King, Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.